0: Part Four, Chapter Seven of O Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. O Pioneers by Willa Cather. Part Four, The White Mulberry Tree. Chapter Seven. When Frank Shabata got home that night, he found Emil's mare in his stable. Such an impertinence amazed him. Like everybody else, Frank had had an exciting day. Since noon he had been drinking too much, and he was in a bad temper. He talked bitterly to himself while he put his own horse away, and as he went up the path and saw that the house was dark, he felt an added sense of injury. He approached quietly, and listened on the doorstep. Hearing nothing, he opened the kitchen door, and went softly from one room to another. Then he went through the house again, upstairs and down, with no better result. He sat down on the bottom step of the box stairway, and tried to get his wits together. In that unnatural quiet there was no sound but his own heavy breathing. Suddenly an owl began to hoot out in the fields. Frank lifted his head an idea flashed into his mind, and his sense of injury and outrage grew. He went into his bedroom and took his murderous 405 Winchester from the closet. When Frank took up his gun and walked out of the house, he had not the faintest purpose of doing anything with it. He did not believe that he had any real grievance, but it gratified him to feel like a desperate man." he had got into the habit of seeing himself always in desperate straits. His unhappy temperament was like a cage, he could never get out of it, and he felt that other people, his wife in particular, must have put him there. It had never more than dimly occurred to Frank that he made his own unhappiness. Though he took up his gun with dark projects in his mind, he would have been paralyzed with fright, had he known that there was the slightest probability of his ever carrying any of them out. Frank went slowly down to the orchard gate, stopped and stood for a moment, lost in thought. He retraced his steps and looked through the barn and the hayloft. Then he went out to the road, where he took the footpath along the outside of the orchard hedge. The hedge was twice as tall as Frank himself, and so dense that one could see through it only by peering closely between the leaves. He could see the empty path a long way in the moonlight. His mind travelled ahead to the stile, which he always thought of as haunted by Emil Bergson. But why had he left his horse? At the wheatfield corner, where the orchard hedge ended, and the path led across the pasture to the Bergson's, Frank stopped. In the warm, breathless night air he heard a murmuring sound, perfectly inarticulate, as low as the sound of water coming from a spring, where there is no fall, and where there are no stones to fret it. Frank strained his ears. It ceased. He held his breath and began to tremble. Resting the butt of his gun on the ground, he parted the mulberry leaves softly with his fingers, and peered through the hedge at the dark figures on the grass, in the shadow of the mulberry tree. It seemed to him that they must feel his eyes, that they must hear him breathing. But they did not. Frank, who had always wanted to see things blacker than they were, for once wanted to believe less than he saw. THE WOMAN LYING IN THE SHADOW MIGHT SO EASILY BE ONE OF THE BERGSON'S FARM-GIRLS. AGAIN THE MURMUR, LIKE WATER WELLING OUT OF THE GROUND. THIS TIME HE HEARD IT MORE DISTINCTLY, AND HIS BLOOD WAS QUICKER THAN HIS BRAIN. HE BEGAN TO ACT, JUST AS A MAN WHO FALLS INTO THE FIRE BEGINS TO ACT. THE GUN sprang TO HIS SHOULDER. HE SIGHTED MECHANICALLY, AND FIRED THREE TIMES, WITHOUT STOPPING. STOPPED WITHOUT KNOWING WHY. Either he shut his eyes or he had vertigo. He did not see anything while he was firing. He thought he heard a cry simultaneous with the second report, but he was not sure. He peered again through the hedge at the two dark figures under the tree. They had fallen a little apart from each other, and were perfectly still-no, not quite-in a white patch of light, where the moon shone through the branches. A man's hand was plucking spasmodically at the grass. Suddenly the woman stirred and uttered a cry, then another, and another. She was living. She was dragging herself toward the hedge. Frank dropped his gun and ran back along the path, shaking, stumbling, gasping. He had never imagined such horror. The cries followed him. They grew fainter and thicker, as if she were choking. He dropped on his knees beside the hedge, and crouched like a rabbit, listening, fainter, fainter, a sound like a whine, again, a moan, another, silence. Frank scrambled to his feet and ran on, groaning and praying. From habit he went toward the house, where he was used to being soothed when he had worked himself into a frenzy. "'but at the sight of the black, open door he started back. "'He knew that he had murdered somebody, "'that a woman was bleeding and moaning in the orchard, "'but he had not realized before that it was his wife. "'The gate stared him in the face. "'He threw his hands over his head. "'Which way to turn? "'He lifted his tormented face and looked at the sky. "'Holy mother of God, not to suffer! "'She was a good girl, not to suffer!' Frank had been wont to see himself in dramatic situations, but now, when he stood by the windmill, in the bright space between the barn and the house, facing his own black doorway, he did not see himself at all. He stood like the hare when the dogs are approaching from all sides, and he ran like a hare, back and forth about that moonlit space, before he could make up his mind to go into the dark stable for a horse." The thought of going into a doorway was terrible to him. He caught Emil's horse by the bit and led it out. He could not have buckled the bridle on his own. After two or three attempts, he lifted himself into the saddle and started for Hanover. If he could catch the one o'clock train, he had money enough to get as far as Omaha. While he was thinking dully of this in some less sensitized part of his brain, His acuter faculties were going over and over the cries he had heard in the orchard. Terror was the only thing that kept him from going back to her, terror that she might still be she, that she might still be suffering. A woman, mutilated and bleeding in his orchard. It was because it was a woman that he was so afraid. It was inconceivable that he should have hurt a woman. He would rather be eaten by wild beasts than see her move on the ground, as she had moved in the orchard. Why had she been so careless? She knew he was like a crazy man when he was angry. She had more than once taken that gun away from him and held it when he was angry with other people. Once it had gone off while they were struggling over it. She was never afraid. But when she knew him, why hadn't she been more careful?' Didn't she have all summer before her to love Emil Bergson in, without taking such chances? Probably she had met the smirka boy, too, down there in the orchard. He didn't care. She could have met all the men on the divide there and welcome, if only she hadn't brought this horror on him. There was a wrench in Frank's mind. He did not honestly believe that of her. He knew that he was doing her wrong. He stopped his horse to admit this to himself the more directly— to think it out the more clearly. He knew that he was to blame. For three years he had been trying to break her spirit. She had a way of making the best of things that seemed to him a sentimental affectation. He wanted his wife to resent that he was wasting his best years among these stupid and unappreciative people, but she had seemed to find the people quite good enough. If he ever got rich, he meant to buy her pretty clothes, and take her to California in a Pullman car, and treat her like a lady. But in the meantime he wanted her to feel that life was as ugly and unjust as he felt it. He had tried to make her life ugly. He had refused to share any of the little pleasures she was so plucky about making for herself. She could be gay about the least thing in the world, but she must be gay. When she first came to him, Her faith in him, her adoration, Frank struck the mare with his fist. Why had Marie made him do this thing? Why had she brought this upon him? He was overwhelmed by sickening misfortune. All at once he heard her cries again. He had forgotten for a moment. Maria! he sobbed aloud. Maria! When Frank was half-way to Hanover, the motion of his horse brought on a violent attack of nausea. After it had passed, he rode on again, but he could think of nothing except his physical weakness and his desire to be comforted by his wife. He wanted to get into his own bed. Had his wife been at home, he would have turned and gone back to her meekly enough. End of chapter seven of part four.